0: Hey, Rizzo here at George Mason University. I'm here with Jamie Brunston from the University of Memphis to discuss the article uh, titled, My Methods Courses Feel Like Walmart, which is the reason why I uh, emailed Jamie because I'm a sucker for really good titles. Uh, So it's, My Methods Courses Feel Like Walmart, Influences of Secondary Organizational Socialization on Early Career Faculty Members, Implementation of PEAT. Uh, So this article was recently published in the Journal of Teaching and Physical Education with uh, Matt Kurtner-Smith. And so, as always, I'll put the full notes uh, or full citation
1: to the notes section. So, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Risto. Thanks very much for for having me and Dr. Kurtner-Smith. And I really appreciate your time and help highlighting our work. So thank you. Yeah. So
0: in the article, you start off by talking about sports pedagogy socialization for um, early career faculty members, and we've uh, discussed on a bunch of different podcasts, occupational socialization theory. Um, so I'll add the links to people who want to listen to those specific episodes, but we'll skip that kind of um, uh, recap about it. But I'm wondering if you can give us a overview of how this is different for early career faculty members as compared to PE teachers, which those podcasts that we've talked about um, referred to. So, what are the main factors that influence them?
1: Yeah, so um, Lawson and, and Mitchell in the 80s talked about how our knowledge of who faculty members are and what they're doing in the name of teacher education was limited. And so, speeding up to kind of Dr. Richards and colleagues' socialization book, Casey and Fletcher talked about how, in many ways, that issue still remains. Um, and so kind of building on the work of Lawson, Curtis Smith, Richards, Casey, among other people, um, we are beginning to understand uh, the impact of higher education institutions on how faculty deliver PE. And so what are the differences between early career faculty at universities and early career PE teachers? So unlike the majority of first year PE teachers, faculty are more likely to enter the profession having had one or multiple careers. They typically enter having taught and or possess some sort of experience in school and enter with an expert level knowledge of the field as informed behind their advanced degree and so for early career teachers this might be their first education job um, they're more likely to be younger um, with less life experience but that's, that's not always the case um, and so their knowledge of the field is just not as strong compared to those um, faculty members And so while it's not always the case, faculty um, positions generally facilitate greater levels of autonomy um, related to how they do the job. um, And we know this um, when compared to in teachers. And so going on to the second point, what are the factors that influence early career faculty and teachers? So there's lots to talk about here in summary. but when an individual enters an environment, they proceed to perceive the cultures as either positive, neutral, or negative, and the conditions as favorable, neutral, or unfavorable, for example. And so based on their interpretation of this experience, the individual will then deploy coping strategies. So will they comply with the culture, or will they attempt to redefine the culture? And so all their perspectives washed in um, through a term that I came to call the institutional pull, or will they be washed out in terms of the institutional press? And so for in-service teachers, questions such as, are senior leaders and administrators supportive of PE or not? Is the subject valued as a curriculum subject or not? Are class sizes conducive for quality peace? Um, and what resources, if available, um, can a teacher use? For faculty, however, questions such as, You know, how is is the ethos of the institution, either teaching, research, or other, impacting their delivery of peace? How many credit hours or years are there dedicated to the program? How much time is dedicated to field experiences and internships? How are concepts such as program enrollment, sociocultural politics of the institution, the quality of the schools and the mentor teachers impacting the program? And so there's really lots to talk about here um but i'm going to stop there because we're going to be talking about this later on
0: yeah and it's interesting because i i didn't think about how pete professors who are entering the profession might have had different careers and obviously like if you go through the socialization experience graduating as a licensed teacher then going in to teach for one two three four years and then going in higher education then doing a socialization experience again going into higher education that there would be some parallels but also it's like and you bring bring this up that it's you have a very high knowledge of certain content in the field but you have very limited knowledge about high, how really? higher education works whereas a mm-hmm. PE teacher who comes out of undergrad and goes into your first year you might not have like extensive knowledge about PE, you, right. you know, as much as you've learned and in, in your PE profession. But I think a lot of teachers would say they learned a lot in their first and second years and their third years. Right. Um. So that's, that's interesting because they are, they are very similar in their occupational mm. socialization experiences, but different. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can give us an overview of what you did in the study, like what are the methods, participants, mm-hmm. um, what did you do?
1: Yeah. So the participants in this study were seven early career faculty members based in the United States. Um, they were purposely selected having less than seven years experience in higher education. And I really base this definition based off the tenure system. And so on average, it took about seven years for faculty to receive tenure and so that that, that was uh, my definition there um, these participants were, were really truly amazing um, i learned so much from them and they were incredibly honest with me um, as they engaged with kind of the following techniques so um, these were formal and informal interviews um, faculty supplied various documents and artifacts that represented their teaching pedagogy they supplied up to about 25 hours' worth of film. Um, and then they were also asked to create their ideal peak program as if they had full control. And they were asked to kind of complete that in a way which they were comfortable. So that was, could have been in a scope and sequence. It could have been written. It could have been, they could have audio recorded it and then sent it. Um, and that's an overview of, of data collection. In terms of analysis, um, analytic induction and constant comparison was used. In many ways, that was used to figure out what they were doing in the name of Pete and what they valued, what they wanted to do, and what factors were influencing how they implemented.
0: So what was the video recording? Were those individual teachers in their classroom, like Pete professors who were videotaping their lectures or
1: like lab experiences? Or So this was pretty complex. Because all all faculty and all different institutions have different affordances. So some institutions had these software in their classrooms where they could record everything. Um, others had to kind of um, film their methods courses with cameras, or um, were, were using kind of um, asynchronous film. So this was one of the perks of COVID, um, where institutions were moving to more digital platforms, and so they. Were creating these resources and, and so faculty were, were sharing them in very different ways it could have been asynchronous synchronous um, and they supplied film which was that which was doable to them to kind of cause them not too much work but also to, to kind of help me understand what they are trying to do in the name of peace. so that was very flexible interesting so you use uh, Zeichner's
0: orientations and then the value orientations by Kurtner Smith, and your discussion about faculty members, program delivery. I'm, I'm wondering if you can give us an overview of these concepts so we kind of understand the results.
1: Yeah. So um, this is this is quite complicated, but I'm going to try and be uh, efficient here. So Zeichner's orientations to teacher education that there are four. Of um, in this paper, the first three are are important. So the first is the behavioristic orientation, and so this is an orientation which is focused on teaching the nuts and bolts of effective teaching. So we're talking about the effectiveness research here. We're talking about Moss and Styles, Brink's pedagogy, um, mastering subject matter, for example. The second, the traditional craft orientation, is about an appre- is an apprenticeship model. And it's basically stressing the importance of learning through observation, mentorship from field experiences in the field. And so we're talking about learning from mentor teachers in schools during field experiences. The third is the critical inquiry orientation, which aims to facilitate a teacher education focused on combating marginalisation, promoting equality, justice, democracy, um, through addressing social and moral issues, for example. The fourth is the personalistic orientation, which is, the un, un, which is basically the opposite of the behavioristic orientation, in that it basically enables pre-service teachers to train as they personally believe and desire um, in ways which align with their views about teaching. Um, and so, to the best of my knowledge, this really doesn't exist in higher education institutions. So, in terms of value orientation, this comes from Kathy Ennis, And so there are six orientations here the first is disciplinary mastery which is all about um, teaching for a mastery of subject matter the second is learning process which is all about teaching students how to learn from and for themselves so basically teaching learners how to learn the third is self-actualization which is about teaching students to self-actualize who they are and want to be as a mover or as a person so teaching for self-discovery and one's, one's understanding of themselves. The fourth is social responsibility, which is about teaching students how to be socially responsible people and sports people. And so it's focusing on interpersonal interactions, cooperation, um, so emphasizing character, virtue, social emotional learning, those kinds of things. The fifth is social reconstruction, which focuses on realizing sociocultural goals and so schools are really viewed as vehicles for improving society and facilitating positive cultural change and the sixth is ecological integration and that is all about emphasizing the personal search for meanings and balancing the priorities between individual and societal goals um, so basically this is about teaching how to kind of function effectively as citizens um, with a part of a, a single world um, and so, in summary, someone's philosophy to teach can be informed by that orientation to teacher education and the value orientations toward Pete.
0: Yeah, and, and I like that you line the program description of the faculty members to the orientations that you talked about. And most of them use the traditional craft and behavioristic orientations, which is kind of expected um, in the first theme. Mm-hmm adding critical inquiry into the second theme. Um, Can you give us a few examples of what this looked like in their descriptions of Pete?
1: Yeah, so um, if we are starting with a traditional craft, um, this essentially means that they're in the field as much as possible. Means these service teachers are in the schools, they're doing as many field experiences as they possibly can, they're having long internships with quality mentors, they're being mentored in ways which supports the program and reinforces the strength of the program. Um, and so, for example, if a teacher wants to be an elementary teacher, they were placed with expert teachers where in, in elementary schools, where they're doing the skill teams model, for example. Um, if we're moving on to the behavioristic orientation, some of the faculty believe, you know, that there should be a strong focus on micro pedagogies, foundational pedagogical content knowledge. And so teaching and styles, teaching about pedagogical models, um, aligning content to standards. And so an example of this is um, kind of in hybrid with the traditional craft is having classes dedicated to sports education, for example, and teaching all the styles related to how you might deliver the model and then including the field experience with that. And so you might focus on the content knowledge of soccer, for example. And so, and kind of as you said, the faculty strongly believed in, in kind of starting with the behavioristic orientation and then reinforcing that teaching with quality traditional craft experiences. In um, kind of moving on to the two faculty that advocated for the critical inquiry orientation, this basically consists of kind of embedding sociocultural practices within and through kind of all of these, and so not just within particular classes. Um, and so it's creating kind of composite models where the skill teams approach was was embedded within TPSR, for example, um, facilitating build experiences where um, they're working with children with um, who experiencing high levels of precarity. and in a lot of working individuals um, in schools where there's a lot of diversity. Um, and so it's a, another example can be. Um, an emphasis on understanding what messages the assessment that they're using has on student learning. And so those are just some um, some examples.
0: So reading how faculty members value PE is obviously really good, uh, but I, th- I think it's crucial to highlight their focus on teaching through movement. So can you talk us yeah. about that teaching through movement
1: piece? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, a lot of colleagues would be familiar with kind of Arnold's philosophy regarding learning through, in, about, um, and now more recently because of physical education. And so one colleague really highlighted the importance of of quality physical education, and, and it's all about the messages that we're sending through this this medium. And so this colleague was talking about how. PE is so much more than just activity it's more than recess it's more than recreation it's so much more meaningful um, p had so much potential for good both within the movement paradigm and in other realms of life and so in essence the faculty were talking about how what we do should go beyond just physical activity rather than what it um, rather it should be based on helping to achieve socio- uh, socio-cultural goals promoting social justice, addressing diversity issues. You know, at the end of the day, it was about stating that Pete was about helping people to become better teachers and better human beings. Um, and so it, it was really clear that a lot of these faculty were really forward thinking. Um, they were gatekeepers that envisioned a really progressive future for the profession. So. Yeah,
0: and you had, uh some factors that helped and hindered faculty members deliver PEAT when they were actually teaching. So I'm wondering, you had three of these. Uh, so let's start with uh,
1: culture. Yeah, so um, again, this is this is pretty broad, but um, I'm gonna try and be efficient here. So in terms of culture, um, a cultural impact was strongly informed by senior colleagues and administrators in PEAT it was informed by pre-service teachers and the culture of the institution. So whether that's research or, or teaching process Examples of positive cultures really consisted of um, experienced colleagues being flexible and supportive and, and really believed in how the early career faculty intended to deliver. Um, early career faculty members really appreciated when um, experienced colleagues with a voice of reason um, with administrators and fought to acquire more time for high quality PEAT. Examples of negative cultures consist of senior administrators really failing to keep promises to the department, administrators making all the decisions about curricular changes in the program and or they didn't really understand what PEAT what or PE is all about. And so as one faculty stated, it's difficult for PE professors to be heard when administrators don't value and think PE is important. Colleagues were positive um, when they were open-minded and showed high levels of dedication to the profession um, and and really advocated for the profession in really unique ways. Uh, On the flip side of that, though, um, colleagues were seen as negative and unhelpful when they maintained custodial perspectives and practices toward the profession and when, for example, colleagues' critical orientations to teacher education were not respected or valued. And so here's another thing. Faculty members were also um, having positive experiences when their pre-service teachers were responsive to progressive teaching. Um, But on the flip side, faculty members found it challenging to disrupt um, pre-service teachers that came in with very custodial philosophies toward the profession. And so as a domino effect, um, some faculty were really torn here. It's do you outright reject this kind of pre-service teacher that is perhaps not ideal for our profession, or do you accept poor-quality candidates on the basis of program enrollment? And so this was a real tension for a lot of the early career faculty. And so um, quite significantly, most of the faculty talked about how they had a balance between teaching, research, and service expectations. However, that wasn't the case for all of the faculty members. And so there were some instances where colleagues were having to focus more on the research and the grant side of things compared to undergraduate teaching, for example. And so some faculty had to question whether they did have to chase the money in the grants and stop their research focus just so they could kind of appease their administrators. Um, Or for those that were successful at grants, um, actually being involved in peace, the more successful they were at securing finances for the institution, the more um, less they were involved with, for example, delivering methods courses, which is obviously a significant part of, of what we do in the job. Um, and so we're basically beginning to see that as this huge pull and tug for various factors that early career faculty are experiencing in terms of culture.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting the, the part you said about balancing whether you wanna bring in not the greatest quality candidate versus looking at program enrollment numbers. And because there's so many different ways that PE programs work, and there's some that you right. actually apply to get into a teaching credential program. Like in California, you go through an interview process to get in, and then there's others that right. you declare yourself a major your freshman year or as a transfer, and all of a sudden this person is in your program. And then... Right you never had an interview process with them and they go through the program and you start seeing the signs of oh no like i have the student who is basically going to go out roll the roll the ball out and right. coach football mm-hmm. and not care at all about the pe part but yet they're going to have your university label on them because they graduated right. from the program mm-hmm. and so i can understand that balance of you know okay we need numbers and you know, right. there's tons of teaching positions open, so, you know, they need mm-hmm. teachers out there, but where do you sacrifice and what
1: control does a faculty member even have about it? Right. And in many ways, the state policy is a significant here. So it's about, you know, all state policies, what are they requiring teachers to do in, this, in this, the state to qualify as a teacher? Do they have to have an undergraduate degree in any specialism, not, not alone teaching? Um, there are so many complicated questions, and that's that's the tension. Every state is different, and is facing their own unique challenges. As so well is, you know, each institution. So, yeah, it's it's complicated, and and there's a point I want to identify later on, which kind of talks about about this. So. Yeah, and
0: and I know that like in California, where I used to teach, they uh, we could have a, a history undergraduate person, so a person who got their you know, degree in history, went out and worked at mm-hmm. I don't know Verizon for four years and then decided to come back, took a couple prereqs just about how to teach English language learners, this is technology and education, and mm-hmm. then uh passed the praxis exam and now they're interviewing to get into credential programs. And so like that person has never taught a day in their life and they're going mm-hmm. into no like Observations, nothing. They just go right into student teaching. Right. It's like mm-hmm. it's wild. It, it, there's so many it's different chaos. ways to get in, and but you know they they could be tremendous teachers if they are given the opportunity. Right. So so let's mm-hmm. let's get back into your second uh, part, which was conditions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um... This is uh, unlike the kind of culture, which are kind of bigger things. The the conditions are, um, at least in this paper, they were the resources available to faculty members. Um, It was the quality of the schools and the cooperating teachers that were working with pre-service teachers. And it was the official um, state and national standards. And so favorable conditions really consisted of faculty having a significant amount of program space in which to train pre-service teachers. Other um, factors consisted of having excellent resources in terms of equipment and facilities, which they could use whenever they whenever they like. Which, as we know, is, is not always the case in some institutions. Um, faculty also appreciated when uh, they were teaching the same courses over and over again, but they also had autonomy with how to teach those courses and where when necessary, they were able to give insight into how other aspects of the program could be taught. And again, it relates back to the cultures where faculty were receptive to early career um, faculty members' perspectives. Another thing was that um, when institutions had really good um, setup in terms of how they organize field experiences or internships. And that it wasn't a headache for the faculty to organize and to go through and to facilitate. It was more of a structural component, which this is what happens, and it's it's a normal routine. Um, On the flip side, however, pretty significant was um, unfavorable conditions that related to kind of losing faculty life due to low enrollment, due to being unable to fill faculty positions. That's pretty significant. Here's another thing. Um, When the PE programs were filled with too many non pe courses, and so actually in some situations, do you have a year of PE teacher education or two years or, you know, a combination of that? And and within that, what kinds of courses existed? Um, Another issue uh, was the lack of diversity in PE programs. And in particular with the the schools that pre-service teachers would be sent to and be working with and the mentors that they would be working with. Um, And another thing is, for example, in in some cases, the the standards that were in place were not aligned with research-informed teaching, at least in in our field. Um, And pretty significant here was that, um, in many ways, because there was not enough time to train teachers, this led to the quote in the paper, my methods courses feel like Walmart. And to finish the quote, it's more of, a, it's a one-stop shop for all things for pedagogy. So in summary, faculty required to hybridize the teaching of content, methods, assessment, models, you know, cramming in as much as they possibly can within only a limited time. And that was um, perhaps the most significant unfavorable condition. And so the last one that you
0: discussed were coping strategies. So can you uh, cover those as well?
1: Yes. So in response to these kind of cultures and conditions that the faculty experience, the faculty deployed one of the four following coping strategies. That was either they fully complied, they strategically complied, they attempted to strategically redefine the culture, or they found a new position. So fully complied means they, they, comply with the cultures and conditions that they are, are existing, they comply with them completely. Strategically comply meaning at the moment they are complying with the situation um, because that's the safe thing for them to do. Strategically redefine means that they are attempting to redefine the culture and the conditions that exist at the institution and then found a new position with uh, a response to negative or unfavorable conditions and they found a new position. So. When the cultures and conditions were more positive and favorable, faculty were more likely to fully comply or to redefine the cultures and conditions of the institution because they felt confident and comfortable that they could do that. And if the cultures and conditions were negative and unfavorable, they are more likely to strategically comply. And depending on how long they comply, depending on whether um, they left the position or not. And so early career faculty, um, what we found was that they're more likely to comply early on when they first enter the position because they're learning about the cultures and conditions within the institution. That said, of the faculty that got to the point where they received tenure and promotion, they are more likely to then attempt to redefine the cultures that existed. And so here are just some examples. Faculty fully complied when they entered positions that already had a strong PEAK curriculum in place. So for example, these faculty perceived the programs already had a strong emphasis on content and pedagogical content knowledge. They already embodied diverse and critical perspectives toward PEAK, for example. Alternatively, when the cultures were oppressive in terms of there being an aggressive grant and research focus, and or when programs showed a lack of value and appreciation for the critical inquiry orientation, the faculty found new positions. And, and obviously, as we know, that's very unsettling when you have to respond to the situation in a way which forces you to leave. And so um, if, if I was to take this further, one faculty member actually described their institution as very corporate and actually decided to play politics um, which basically means that this person was trying to get as much money as they possibly could and in, in terms of not focusing on their own research line but having to, to shift their own focus just, just to please their administrator. Um, a less extreme example, however, consists of um, some faculty having now gained tenure and promotion um, strate- tr- having to strategically comply with some of the service tasks and requirements that was provided onto them, even though it had no benefit to their career. It was just more of, you're in this position, you need to be doing this. To give you another example, um, I, I talked about how there were some colleagues um, that had limited um, involvement in field-based teeth. Um, some, some of this were, some of those faculty were successful in redefining the culture of their program and ended up facilitating more space for field-based teeth. Um, and so that was their attempt to redefine the culture. Um, and so the, the final quote of the paper is really kind of a strong example, which all early career faculty members kind of must deal with, or actually all faculty across the board when you entering a new institution. Um, when you enter an institution, you basically have the dilemma of you have to interpret the culture. You have to figure out the cultures and conditions that are given to you. And so based on that, you then need to think about whether you want to comply or redefine the culture, or you fully comply, or you actually feel like you need to leave the position. And so questions about, you know, do you have a PEAP program that is aligned with others in the profession, or do you have a PEAP program that is as best as it could be within the confines of the institution, those are questions that you, can, you have to address. And every, and every faculty member has to address it. And if you're fortunate enough, you have multiple colleagues that you can share those questions and those, those views and those, those experiences. And if that's the case, then we develop the culture in a way which is more progressive. Um, but that's, that's not always the case, so. Yeah,
0: and I can see early career faculty who are coming into a you know position straight out of grad school, they comply because they're like, oh, I didn't know that this is what higher education is. I mean, depending on what your experience is in your grad program, like, were you sitting in Mm -hmm. on graduate, like, as a graduate student, were you sitting in on faculty meetings, do you understand the politics, do you have any of that service component, which you most likely don't as a grad student, and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you go into your new university and you just understand that that is just what universities are? until you get your head above mm-hmm. water and start talking to other colleagues and you know your grad school friends that went to other universities and they're all oh you do that we don't do that you you do that <laughs> we don't do that oh that's weird right i don't i don't think you should be doing that and then as you get more years under your belt and start getting towards tenure or if you get tenure you just mm-hmm. f- feel more more free to speak up and but it is it is a shame that one of the The coping mechanisms is to literally leave because oftentimes that's Mm. not just the faculty member leaving it's the partner possibly kids like losing an entire research line in that university that goes somewhere else just because of the culture or the the person that was hired for their expertise not being able to change that program and instead they feel like the best thing that they can do is is leave
1: Right, yeah. And, and that actually stresses kind of what Ben Dyson was talking about on a previous podcast of yours. And, you know, senior senior colleagues, experienced colleagues, need to be those voices for early career faculty and, and helping to shift the cultures and conditions to be more aligned with our profession. Um, you know, how are early uh, those experienced colleagues and, and administrators helping to develop the policy of the institution so that they're more favorable for faculty? Yeah. that we can do a job based on how we feel is is most appropriate for the students yeah absolutely yeah
0: so a- as we wrap this up you mentioned that the imp- uh, main implications of this research are for university departments and so what influence do you expect or hope that your study uh, will have for administrators if they if they see this
1: mm-hmm. so The purpose of this research was really to understand what Pete faculty members are doing in the name of Pete and how the cultures and conditions impacting that. And so it's it's hoped that this demonstrates some examples and shows some stories of early career faculty members' experiences. Um, It's hoping to kind of highlight the experiences that some faculty are experiencing and others might not be experiencing. And so really... You know, it's hope that administrators or senior colleagues in our field are kind of listening to early career faculty members and being responsive to that and understanding that um, hopefully administrators can help create a culture where it's more positive and conditions that are more favorable for incoming colleagues, whether that's through informal mentorship, whether that's through kind of what the PEAK Collaborative is doing. It's creating a shared community where we can talk about critical issues in our in our field. Um, and ultimately, it, you know, I think, kind it goes back to another podcast, we need to be more engaged in policy research. So how can how can experienced colleagues who have a broad understanding of the field, um, attack policies, which are unhelpful for our field, and ultimately enable faculty members to, to have more autonomy with what we do, and in turn, help create more more battered teachers in the field. And I
0: like that you brought this back to looking at uh, potentially senior scholars who can then, you know, understand what those experiences of a first time faculty member are and valuing their positions and being the voice for them. Um, I think that's that's important. And I I know that this paper will be a good read for department chairs, for senior faculty who are mentoring, um, you know, recent faculty members and universities i think it's it's helpful so um thank you jamie for uh coming on i really appreciate your time and for you sharing the research
1: thank you very much for having me and again i really appreciate um your support that to help highlight the interest absolutely so um that's all we got for
0: this episode um again i will add the um, link to the notes section and i want to thank alba rodriguez for her help in producing the podcast and uh That's all we got, thanks. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm gonna use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, Our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching and it's high quality. Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching, so you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals Who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.